Hi, I'm Melina Morrison, CEO of the Business Council of Cooperatives and Mutuals. Welcome to our Cooperative Farming podcast series. Cooperative farming is designed to support farmers, fishers and foresters through the formation of new farming cooperatives and to foster the resilience and growth of developing farm cooperatives. Today, in this episode, we speak to Kerry Murphy, Secretary of TAFCO Rural Supplies. If there's something Kerry doesn't know about running a community cooperative, it's not worth knowing. She's been an important part of Victoria's influential, award-winning and profitable rural supplies cooperative, TAFCO, for over three decades. She started at TAFCO at the age of 23, and in this episode, she talks about how this cooperative, originally set up as a merchandising cooperative to service tobacco farmers, managed to reinvent itself after the demise of the tobacco industry. From TAFCO's point of view, it meant we were going from about $4.8 million, so we were nearly at that $5 million mark, and $2.5 million of that was from tobacco. So it was gone overnight. Um, we had a couple of hundred thousand dollars worth of stock that was specific to the tobacco industry. That was one of the reasons TAFCO was formed, was to secure the supply of agricultural goods, particularly those that are imported. So we had all this stock left that we had nothing to do with it. We couldn't sell it to another industry. It wasn't registered for another industry. Um, So uh, that was massive to us. And then from a community point of view, all tobacco was grown within 75 kilometres of Myrtleford, $25 million farm gate value, gone overnight. Today, TAFCO turns over $7 million a year. But an important part of what they do is support the community through education and, of course, their famous farmer's markets. We will hear what was behind that growth that not only allowed them to collaborate, but to innovate and innovate quickly. Here's our host, renowned agricultural journalist, Pete Lewis. Enjoy. Now, let's hear from uh, Kerry Murphy. Kerry has been an influential cooperative leader for many years, more than three decades, in fact. She has a lot of insights, a lot of experience to impart, and this is going to be one of those cooperative conversations you really will be worth hanging on to. She first joined TAFCO, that is the Tobacco and Associated Farmers Cooperative Organisation, back in 1988, our bicentennial year, about the cooperative and its founder organisation, the Tobacco Growers of Victoria. She's seen the end of tobacco farming in her neck of the woods and helped the reinvention of Tapcoat. She's also spent many years focused on how to make supply cooperatives work and uh, how to engage the local community, particularly around them. She's very well versed in capital raising, seminars and workshops to farmers through partnerships with other organisations sourced through grant funding. Kerry, it's a fascinating story. How did you get about, how did you get into all this? What was the spark and the genesis for your involvement in cooperatives? Well, hi, Pete. Well, basically, it was fairly simple. There was a job advertised. And it really interested me. And I was 23 and thought, oh, probably won't get it, but it's worth a shot. Even found my original job application when we were doing a bit of research on this. So I researched the organisation. I applied for the job. I had an interview. I had in a boardroom with seven farmers. I obviously did pretty well because afterwards they offered me the job. I think it had something to do with the fact that I take a little less money than somebody with a lot more experience. But I got a car with the job, so it's pretty awesome. Now, you were a youth worker. That was your background. 
What yes. sort of experience and insights uh, did that did you bring with you from that line of work into your uh, into your cooperative work? Well, pretty much youth work is about community too. It was just about one section of the community. We did a lot of training. We did a lot of outreach. You worked for a committee, so sitting around a table, whether it's a committee or a board, comfortable environment, and you just need to be pretty organised and follow what your board, uh, you know, the direction that they're putting you in. Yeah. Now, I imagine you, your community, and indeed the whole country has uh, just changed almost unrecognisably since then. Bob Hawke was Prime Minister, for God's sake, back in 1988. What were those first few years like, Kerry? Well, the first few years were extremely challenging. I didn't know a lot about cooperatives. Our board was fairly um, young as well in relation to cooperatives. And we had some major issues early on with, you know, we we issued a, a terrific dividend the first year and then I came in. And then we had a massive loss the second year. And uh, that really made everybody uh, sit up and think about what we need to do to make sure that we get this right. When we were looking at a loss in the second year, my chairman and I jumped in a car. You've got to remember, this is a time when there were no computers. You know, I had a typewriter. There was no internet and electronic communications. So to uh, communicate with your members was via a typewriter and a newsletter and putting it in the mail. So we were looking at really challenging times. We jumped in the car, went and saw all the members and said, hey, guys, this is this is what's what's happened. This is what we're putting in place. Stick by us and it'll be worth it in the long run. And every member stuck by us. And I guess at the time, as you say, technology was uh, starting to transform, but uh, it wasn't nearly the grease lightning speed that it is today. So a lot of face-to-face meetings. I'm imagining a lot of... A lot, a lot of, of getting in the car, going around areas, yeah. meetings at night with farmers. Yeah, a lot of that. Obviously, that personal touch, uh, obviously, and ultimately, uh, paid off quite handsomely. And I guess it would, for a relatively uh, young cooperative wrangler, as you were back then, that would have all been, um, you know, just invaluable experience in, A, dealing with people and really working out through the nuts and bolts of, oh. your, stru- of your structure and how it would work and, in some cases, Absolutely. how it didn't work. Yeah, and just understanding your members. I mean, it's all co-ops are all about your members, so just that insight was terrific. Now, you talk about members. You started off 32 years ago yep. with around 175 members. And despite the end of tobacco growing, which we'll discuss, I guess, in a little bit more detail, it now has 620 members. So what's the secret to attracting them and, I guess, more importantly, keeping them? I think in our case, because we're a trading co-op and have a store, you know, quality goods and service, that's just a key component. It has to be fair pricing. It doesn't have to be bottom of the dollar pricing, but it has to be fair pricing and just good communication with your members, knowing what your members' needs are, meeting those needs and continually changing because nothing stays stagnant, not even farming. So, yeah, that would be it. Well, indeed, you say that nothing stays stagnant. Now, over the course of this series, we've met and got an insight into a whole range of different commodity groups and, and industries But it's fair to say that none of them went through the very searing test of character that tobacco growers did. Your business, their business, their growing, their farm operation was shut down and they had to uh, shift on from tobacco to other things. What kind of impact did that have to those businesses, to your cooperative and I guess to the local community? Yeah, look, it was massive, absolutely massive. You can imagine from a grower's point of view, the industry ended two years before their contracts expired. So 
there was always the understanding that that if the industry ever did it, that you'd have a bit of time. But at the end of the day, that that wasn't the case. Uh, there was an offer put to the growers, you know, to basically buy their contracts out. That was sweetened by the government with a uh, restructuring package. So from a grower's point of view, most of them were, you know, close to 60 or in their 60s, close to retirement. Having that cash up front, not the risk, we were coming into a drought year. It was quite okay for them. There were a few younger growers in the industry and it was quite devastating for them because they had geared up to be in the industry for a long time and it ended. So that was the growers. From TAFCO's point of view, it meant we were going from about $4.8 million, so we were nearly at that $5 million mark, and $2.5 million of that was from tobacco. So it was gone overnight. We had a couple of hundred thousand dollars worth of stock that was specific to the tobacco industry. That was one of the reasons TAFCO was formed, was to secure the supply of agricultural goods, particularly those that are imported. So we had all this stock left that we had nothing to do with it. We couldn't sell it to another industry. It wasn't registered for another industry. So uh, that was massive to us. And then from a community point of view, all tobacco was grown within 75 kilometres of Myrtleford, $25 million farm gate value, gone overnight. So it was pretty tough. Now, one of the uh, one of the interesting things that we've uh, also learned in the course of this series is how communities and cooperatives in the same game are really close together. They're, they're really quite thick. Did you have and did you did you have shared experiences with the other growers in other parts of Australia or up in the Atherton Tablelands and I think the Glasshouse Mountains yeah. in Queensland? Did you compare notes and share share your journey, your uh, Absolutely, absolutely. We even took our local councillors, we took our mayor and our CEO at the time of the local shire up to Mareeba, far north Queensland, and met with the shire up there. This was after tobacco had ended in far north Queensland, uh, just to learn from their experiences. We had Mick Borsey, the mayor of Mareeba, shipped down to Myrtleford at a, at a conference that we, we put on. And at the end of the day, we, we came back with the really strong message, never lose tobacco. But that wasn't our choice. So definitely always spoke with the other um, the other areas of Australia, tobacco growers, when they existed. So innovation and flexibility and I guess just taking good ideas from wherever you could get them was obviously yeah. the, the catch cry. What do you think it was about the way you approached things that uh, saw a steady increase in membership? Oh, look, a combination of, of lots of things. I think, you know, one, we've, we've got a good business to start with. We have always run workshops, put on farm events, if you like, looked at ways that farmers can, whether it be value adding or just improving efficiencies on farm and tapping into to resources and putting putting days on for them. When we've run workshops or events, they're not limited to members. It's always been open. Anyone can come. And that certainly has helped grow our business. And I guess that community involvement, being part of those relatively small regional communities has been one of the secrets, quite apart from, you know, the services you provide and all that kind of thing. You are really, you know, you've got a lot of skin in the game uh, in that part of uh, Victoria. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. Now, in terms of community engagement, I understand you're actually talking about bringing in a new type of membership which might embrace a whole new cohort. Tell us about yeah. that. So it's currently, we've got a discussion paper before the board at the moment. Um, I'm pretty sure we're going to take it up though. There's not many farmers that are not members of TAFCO in the area and we've got limited growth so long-term sustainability what do we look at so at the end of the day we'd like everybody that walks through our door to be a member of tafco even if they only want to buy a bag of cat food uh, so we've looked at a way that we can introduce a new class of membership one without shares 
Uh, so people still get to vote through the process, but they don't um, have to put in a bunch of money, if you like. So that's what we're investigating at the moment. And we actually think it's about time that we bring on and embrace the whole community and, and let them join the co-op and see the benefits as well. And did you have you borrowed that model from somewhere else? Did you see it working really effectively in some other part of Australia or indeed overseas and think that's our next move? Uh, no, pro- probably not, although... Mm. Since we've been involved, we've joined the uh, Federation of Cooperatives in New South Wales and met a few other cooperatives from New South Wales and who have similar retail co-ops which with members of the community. So I, I suppose we're not reinventing anything by any means. It's not that innovative. It just sort of makes sense with our business model at the moment. We often hear that there is strength in numbers. How significant for your organisation has been that buying power and uh... Has it, has it sometimes surprised you how much clout you can have when you deal with big wholesalers? Our manager's fantastic at that. He's he's our key man when it comes to, to those relationships and got great relationships with all our suppliers. But we initially started as a franchise of Delgetty Farmers, so that's how we started and that the structure was there, if you like. Uh, we then soon learnt that we were going to be much better off being an independent We uh, became an independent store and purchased through a lot of different suppliers. We then became formation members of a company called AIR, which is the Australian Independent Rural Retailers Group, which has most recently been sold to elders in the last 12 months. But we were formation members of that buying group, if you like. We weren't committed to buying everything from the group, but the majority of our stock came from them. And that company was really set up on uh, cooperative principles. It wasn't a cooperative, but it was darn close and it was a a great business and it just got sold and made a lot of money so we'll see where the future goes with that one you mentioned uh your, uh, your your crack ceo tell us a little bit about some of the other people you've got in your organization do they necessarily have a sort of rural regional background or a cooperative background or do they come from a whole you know variety of careers and, and skill set look we have we have a range of people some of our latest employees have uh, you know we've had somebody coming new in, in the admin side and they've actually come up from Melbourne to join the, the community up here, which has been lovely. We've got a former dairy farmer as a casual that works in the store. Uh, we had a truck driver from Shepparton, so, you know, a bit over an hour away, knew nothing about farming even, and he's just fantastic and certainly embraced the whole, you know, members and membership. Our point of sale runs accounts, so it sort of sits nicely with your members. It's not people you don't know. And look, one of the great things about successful co-ops that we've learned throughout the series is how they do engage and uh, with their communities, particularly on the employment front and especially uh, giving young people often their first start yep. in work. Yeah, look, we always try and have young people working here. It does create its own challenges, as we all know, but look, we've had uh, seven or so school-based trainees doing their certificate in agriculture. So rather than doing retail, we've actually put them through agriculture and seen it as an investment in young people, hopefully wanting to remain in agriculture, not necessarily making a career at TAFCO. And look, one example is just Wade. Fantastic. You know, year 11 student did a Cert 3 in agriculture with us, completed it while he was doing year 11 so that he had the full of, full time in year 12 to concentrate on his studies. Uh, he went on to get a scholarship that we were able to support him in uh, just through, you know, referral and what have you. Went to ag college, got a job 
he travelled the country around Australia buying cattle for, for export. He has recently come back to Myrtleford and working as a stock agent uh, with Nutrient Ag and just bought a house just on the outskirts of town and he's 23. And, you know, he's going to remain in ag for a long time, I think, in this area. 23. It seems to be a common number, Kerry. People it might be. <laughs> keep, people seem to uh, really thrive at 23 in that area. It must be something in the water. Might be. We've got fantastic water here. <laughs> We're talking with Pete Lewis and Kerry Murphy. She's Secretary of TAFCO Rural Supplies, highlighting the importance of community as well as profit as our Cooperative Farming podcast series continues. Okay, looking back over this three-decade-plus mm. journey, I guess you're well-placed to be able to give some analysis to why the cooperative structure works so well for TAFCO as, as opposed to sort of any other company structures, especially yeah. uh, in tough times. We have been through flood, bushfires, you know, industry deregulation, industry ending. Um, we've been through it all with our members and we feel it with them. I think any company can have a corporate social responsibility policy and put it in their charter and, you know, so on paper it looks pretty good and they, and they do some, some great things with communities. But I just don't think you can beat the cooperative model because you are about your members and, and you understand your members. You're not just making a statement, we're going to be good corporate citizens and put back into community. It's part of your core. And look, uh, people that are very heavily involved in cooperatives understand that and appreciate yeah. that. How do you go when you uh, want to approach banks and financial institutions? Is there a level of cooperative literacy uh, out there when it comes to, you know, helping you raise the money you need to get through tough times and, and particularly for growth? Do they get it? No, no, they don't. Um, it's, it's quite difficult in, in a lot of situations when you're trying to explain your, your model and that you don't have an ACN and you don't, in our case, report to ASIC, you know, we're Corporate Affairs Victoria and the Registrar of Co-ops and, and what have you. Uh, so it is difficult explaining that to people, especially when there are boxes to tick and numbers to be filled in and you don't have that number and you're usually trying to explain it to somebody that has no idea, unfortunately. In relation to capital raising, though, we have been very fortunate in that uh, we raised, you know, there was enough capital raised to, to get it off the ground. We inherited our first building when the tobacco industry ended for a very meagre sum which was great. We've moved to new premises. We've built, you know, we own everything. We don't have debt. And we've raised capital through our members through issuing of bonus shares. So over 30-odd year life of TAFCO, early on, we issued bonus shares. It's not something that, that we would probably do now, but certainly early on, that enabled us to keep the cash, grow the business. People were happy with it. They were, anyone that joined the 250 shares back in 1987 would have about 800 shares now. So their $250 investment of $1 each is now, you know, $800. They're all pretty happy campers. And yeah. as we've seen, that that is the secret to retaining the people that you have uh, got on board. If they see the performance, if they see the goals being kicked, and uh, particularly over a long period, they're, they're more likely to stay with you, aren't they? They are. I always say, look, our annual general meeting, for example, which is usually the big meeting of the year, we, we struggle to get a quorum because... Nobody's that interested. They're quite happy because the, the figures are really good and the returns have always been uh, really healthy. They come to all the workshops that we put on and events and what have you. We, we never struggle with numbers, but probably OAGM is the one that we struggle with. So there is a high level of trust and, and clearly uh, transparency in, in, in the way you're going about things on a far more regular basis than 
those good old face-to-face meetings and oh, curly, yeah. curly, curly questions for directors. Yeah, yeah. Nobody comes to the AGM with any of those, but we certainly stay in contact with with the members now, and we've you know moved with the times, and you know we didn't have a website obviously when we started. We're on our third version now, and and looking at the the next one and how we uh, we do a bit more with members that way. How important was that capital raising finesse and prowess? Uh, in the Myrtleford Markets project. Tell us about that. Oh, okay. So with uh, with the Myrtleford Farmers Market, the way we raised capital for that was very different. We applied for a grant. So Regional Development Victoria actually had a program looking at farmers markets. We applied for some money and we got $10,000 to do a feasibility study. So we did our feasibility study that sort of said that a little farmers market wouldn't be viable in the long term unless it was an event. So then we went about, well, how do we make it an event? So we engaged somebody to help us with that. We had a really good business plan worked out. We had support from the community to do it. There was always a stage two funding process that you could apply for to start up your market. We'd written our feasibility study. The the state government withdrew that uh, program, so there was no money available. We had this wonderful report that said we needed about $40,000 to start the market if we were going to do it properly, and there was no money there, and TAFCO wasn't prepared to put in $40,000 of of ours. So, So we shelved it for a little while, and then the program or the funding program became available again and we uh, put a submission in and managed to get 30000 to start it off. So got some really good infrastructure, so got some really good outdoor speakers. We, uh, we were able to engage local entertainers and we got a really good website. We had some really good communications early on with potential stallholders who were nearly all members of TAFCO. And now we've just celebrated our fourth year. The market doesn't make any money. It runs at revenue neutral, but it, it hasn't cost and it's been a great community project. And I guess, I just as you say, just a perfect vehicle for you to promote all the good things, A, that your members produce, yeah. and B, uh, what your co-op does. It's a, it's a kind of a, a constant reminder to people who thought up the good idea. It was one of our board members. One of our board members said, I think we should be doing this and, and uh, giving an outlet to our producers and what have you. My initial reaction is, oh, that's a lot of work. <laughs> there are a lot of work. There, there are a lot of rewards with it, but there are a lot of work. And yeah, it's it's been really good to be part of. And we are still going through the process, I think, of getting the community actually understanding that it's TAFCO that, that own the market. I believe we're the only accredited farmer's market in Victoria that's actually owned and run by farmers. It's a fair diggum farmer's market. It's a real farmer's market. It has the stamp of approval that when you go and buy from the person, they actually grow the stuff. Or if they make it and they value add, it's local produce. There's a whole criteria to, to get through. And we've been really, really strict on that. Yeah. Now, look, the whole issue of government grants opens up uh, an interesting conversation, I think, because... As we've seen so often, it can, you know, there can be more twists and turns in a Russian novel getting to the bottom of the grants process. You really yep. need a grants whisperer to walk you through the complexity yep. of it and really, you know, get the language right and the applications right and all that sort of thing. How important is that to TAFCO? And what would you tell other cooperatives who are sort of wrestling with the whole issue of, oh, what do we do about grants? How do we fight for it? Should we bother? Is it worth it? Uh, they're not easy to start with. First, you need to make sure that you're on the, the mail list and you subscribe to, you know, whether it be your industry association, like one of our most recent grants, we got through BCCM and the Australian Mutuals Foundation. Now, had we have not been on the, the mailing list, we wouldn't have known about it. 
most likely. So, you know, get on those mailing lists, join your industry association so that you're talking with people. You need to be talking with your local government and if they've got economic development offices, speaking with the, the economic development offices and just, you know, keeping your fingers in the in the pulse. We've been pretty successful when it comes to, to running projects. We've had over a million dollars worth of projects run via TAFCO. They're all community-based projects and around our members. So that's pretty awesome. It's really important that you communicate with whoever the funding body is first about your idea. You know, throw the idea out there and see whether it's got any got any legs to start with or you're going to be wasting your time. Because TAFCO has 600 members, we're across three local government areas. We're across all commodities of farming. We're not specific to just the nut industry or just the hops industry or just tobacco industry. You know, we cover all bases. We've got a really strong base to apply for funds because of the existence and, and who we are. So that really, really helps us. And then it also really helps that you've got to be really good with your reporting and acquittals and do what you say you're going to do and uh, spend the money on time and acquit on time and that all comes at a price. That's it. And I, yeah, and I guess... Uh, it's all uh, terrific advice. I think on the on the strength of this cooperative conversation, you'll probably be fielding a lot of inquiries from around Australia with people who will like, want to pick your brains. But you talk about having your ear pretty close to the ground and having, well, in fact, 620 ears pretty yeah. close to the ground. I guess 2020 could not have been a, a sterner test for uh, the uh, strength and resilience of your co-op and your members in your community. Well and truly, but 2020, we actually feel like we're coals. Like we have, the last two years, we've had significant growth in TAFCO. The COVID environment has not had too many negative impacts on the farming community in relation to product. It's certainly taking its toll on our mental health and a, and a few other things. But overall, the farming industry's probably one of the better industries to be in during these really challenging times with everybody. As, as people would understand, Myrtleford is uh, not a suburb of Melbourne. You're a fair way distance and probably in this case, the further the better. The state could be five times bigger <laughs> at times like this, I guess, for you. But uh, And there's no doubt the effects of the pandemic are, are disproportionately belting the capital city and the, the near areas more than they are up where you are. But nonetheless, I guess there are still lots of logistical and practical uh, hurdles to be overcome. Absolutely. Like our farmer's market went in recess for six months over COVID. We just weren't prepared to... Um, we, we could run the market because it's food-based and it was within the rules, but it would change the whole feel of the market. And so we spoke with our grow with our growers and our stallholders and decided to put in recess and uh, started up again uh, last in September, so we've only had one market, had a full COVID safe plan in place for that and everybody signed in and sterilised and gave them all a TAFCO pen on the way in so if they didn't want to do the QR code on their phone. And uh, yeah, we had over 700 people at the first market all spaced out. And, and we have a very small market. We're talking, you know, 20 stalls. So, I guess one of the important things that this sort of pause button uh, gives communities is a little bit of thinking time. And in terms of your co-op, You've been thinking of some creative ways to boost the product, you know, profitability uh, for your members. Tell us, tell us a little about, you know, what you've been doing or what you've got in mind. So really now we're talking about getting everybody that walks through that door as a member of TAFCO and uh, increasing, our, our, increasing our, our membership and increasing our sales 
in that space, which I mentioned earlier. So that's the main thing that we've been thinking about. Uh, we're also, we've also been reviewing how we sit in the digital space and, and what that should look and feel like moving forward. It's not something that's in our comfort zone. It's not something that we're just learning and, and moving forward and looking at how we can do things better and, and the challenges of the future, whatever they may be. In terms of marketing, in terms of getting the TAFCO brand out and about, you've trademarked the uh, primary producer proud. Yeah, uh, love it. Uh, uh, Doesn't came, that sound good? It does. It, it's a bit of a throwback, but it's uh, it's absolutely what it says. Did that take long for you to work on those very three simple words? No, so that we inherited them from the tobacco days. So every tobacco farm used to have a sign out the front that said primary producer proud and it had some mm. tobacco leaves on it. They were really hard to come by at the end of the day and quite well sought after. And uh, that's probably when we grabbed the tagline and, and then we said, hey, we need to trademark this or somebody else will, will grab it. And uh, then it was the perfect tagline when we started the farmer's market. It just all fitted together and the essence of, of who we are and the history too. So, yeah, we love that primary producer proud. Do you find people are using it as a, an auxiliary boost to their own products and brands and things? Not really, to be honest. Mm. We use it. Are, with, are they with allowed everything. to? Are they allowed to do that? Or I'm trying to think if anyone has. They'd mm. probably ask. Um, mm. I've seen others try to use it that aren't. <laughs> um, but no, no. It's, it's But it's something worth exploring. Pete, you've given us another idea there. And look, uh, happy to provide it uh, <laughs> free, of, free of charge, Gary. In terms of the rest of the supply chain, You've obviously got the uh, you've obviously got the 620 members in the community of, of Myrtleford bottled up. How do you, what steps do you take to really keep yourself connected with every step of the chain? Um, are you talking from product to the store, and then from the yeah. store to so the fertilizer and the yeah, everything, chemical, yeah. everything? Yeah. Oh, I leave that up to our manager. He's wonderful at it and really good. And we've got a really good buying group. Uh, we've got systems in place. We've got a great point of sale uh, system that works for us. And certainly communication with those suppliers is pretty key in making sure that when there is an issue, because, you know, there's going to be issues when you're talking supply chains, um, that they can be dealt with and that we can then communicate to our members if they've been waiting on something and we haven't got it, that we can explain why whether that be COVID and glyphosate from China or whether, or whether it be, you know, trying to get a cattle crush out of, um, you know, Tamworth at the moment, you know, six-month wait, not enough welders, not enough people to make what we need, yeah. What's in the uh, medium to long term for TAFCO? It will be interesting because times always change. Uh, we have a vision. So we've, we've had a vision that, that our board have put together and our staff are aware of and our members are aware of, and that is to be um, a unique, you, I can't even say it, a uniquely positioned and profitable agribusiness cooperative servicing regional communities. And uh, we will work towards that and try, the, try to be the best that we can be and just never forget your members. Remember your core, why you exist. It's just critical. What does success look and feel like, Kerry? Being profitable is pretty important. No point in being in business if you can't be profitable, but it's definitely not about maximising those profits. It's about, in our case, getting back to those quality goods, goods and services to your members, supplying what they need at fair pricing and good communication with your members right through. Pretty simple. 
for me. You, pers- you personally have put in a bit of mileage uh, oh. on this campaign, and I guess not not all of it on bitumen. Uh, what ki- what drives you? What keeps you as passionate about it as you were way back as a 23 <laughs> year old? I know, and I'm 56 now. It's a bit scary, isn't it? I think it's part, partially it's my nature. It's just it is my nature. But I love this business. I, I feel like it's my own. Uh, I love the members, and I'm not doing the same thing. I am constantly being challenged. Constantly, I think you know, throwing out ideas to with it, with our board, with our staff, with our members. What do you think of this? And then one of those ideas over one of those local glasses of red wine from our members will spark something and then you make it happen. So I keep doing things differently, yeah. And at the foundation, as we have seen each and every week that we've done this, the most important principles for very successful cooperatives, they all seem to be the same. They're universal. Thanks so much for the conversation, uh, Kerry. It's been great catching up with... Great catching up with... uh, somebody uh, trapped behind enemy lines there in Victoria. The, the borders will open. You will get a chance to travel to other great parts of this country uh, soon enough. But for the time being, it's, uh, it's, it's fair enough to assume that the, uh, the folks involved in TAFCO and indeed the uh, area of, of Myrtleford are being extremely well served. So well done. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining us on this podcast and I really hope you enjoyed it. The TAFCO model is really built around members coming together, creating scale to benefit its membership base, particularly in the regions where supply costs are expensive because of location. And in the roundtable video connected to this episode, we explore where that concept has worked in different ways. Donna Avery from Yola Producers, which is based in Tasmania, demonstrates a community approach. So northwest Tasmania is a highly productive area. Um, a lot of very small farms. It's probably not unlike Myrtleford was, just thinking of Kerry and having worked up in that area previously. A lot of small farmers with very diverse income streams, um, probably that needed one 10 litre bucket of something and one five litre container of something else. It actually gives you no ability to negotiate price with a supplier. So a gang of farmers got together, probably at the local Yola pub, I suspect. You can watch this insightful roundtable on demand by going to the conversations page on coopfarming.coop. Don't forget to subscribe now to the Cooperative Farming podcast series and please rate us. I hope you're inspired to find out more about the fantastic benefits of cooperative farming and how to realise the potential for your business as we future-proof Aussie farmers. Join us at coopfarming.coop and thanks for following this series. In our next episode, we speak to Larry McHugh. He's CEO of the Marquee Macadamia Cooperative. Remember, in a challenging world, we're all better together. I'm Melina Morrison. Thanks for listening. Listener.